On this edition of My Matters, licensed counselor and author of the book, Shattered, Rita Schulte and me, Richard Beatty, take a page out of that book and unpack an uncomfortable subject, grief. To help us unpack this is the founder of an organization and website, HealGrief.org. Fran Solomon will tell her story and the mission of HealGrief.org. Rita Schulte, welcome back. You were on vacation. Thank you. Yeah, we had an amazing trip. Yes, and uh, you went to Europe, is that correct? Yeah, we did. We went to London and France and down the, floated down the Seine River and saw tons of castles, and it was really magical. I needed the break, so it's good to be back, though. She needed the break from me, actually, so... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. I love you. <laughs> the feeling is mutual. So, uh, <laughs> Heal Grief is dedicated to supporting the bereaved by offering a virtual location without geographical boundaries where individuals and a community can grieve a death, connect, mourn, and heal while celebrating a person's life. An understanding of grief by increasing universal awareness and education while offering resources to support a healthy grief recovery. Rita, the word grief appears in the Bible 67 times. Author and researcher Jeff Schott, uh, who interviews thousands of kids every year, determined that kids are not taught how to grieve. In our culture, where parents, teachers, coaches, and others use the wording, suck it up, buttercup, we are dulling our senses of losses and therefore desensitizing an entire generation of what's really important, which is our relationships. So before we bring Ms. Solomon in, I want to ask you, how, to, how do we get to the grieving process and explore how we can find grace, hope, and healing through the losses of life? Well, first, I think we have to notice and name the losses. And I know that can sound kind of weird because people will be like, well, what do you mean? Notice the losses. Of course I do. But that's not really true. I can remember sitting with a woman one day and she was telling me her story. And I said, wow, that must have been a real loss for you. And she looked at me kind of puzzled and she said, you know, Rita, you're right. I never thought about it that way. So I think noticing what's happening in our hearts is pivotal and putting words to our pain because we, a lot of us, you know, we've been conditioned, you know, as we as we walk through this time with the Fran to suck it up buttercup. You know, we, we we and we may have come from families of origin where you didn't talk about grief or pain or you were told, you know, uh, you just don't talk about those things. You suck it up and move on. And so I think a very important piece of it is telling the story of our losses because a pain shared is a pain halved. And for the Christian, I think it's really important that we make our lament before God. And the Bible is replete with that. If we look at the Psalms, if we, you know, listen to Job, um, you know, we want to make that lament to our Heavenly Father because nobody gets our pain more than he does. Jesus was called the man of sorrows who is well acquainted with grief. And so, you know, the word says, one of my favorite scriptures is the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And that's the truth. But on a practical level, Richard, I think we have to face grief head on. And like I said, many folks don't want to do that because it's so painful. So they tend to bury it, uh, avoid it, deny it, stuff it. And while that strategy may work for a time, 
losses have a real bad habit of sneaking back up on us. And everything that we tend to place on simmer can come to a full boil. And then before you know it, the bottom drops out. Yeah. Well, Fran Solomon, welcome to My Matters, where we recognize that a counseled culture is a healthy culture. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here with you both. Fran, I want to begin uh, with your story. Obviously, there's I always say there's a story and we have to tell the story. And so Why Heal Grief was founded. Can you tell us who how you began this journey and what prompted you to start this ministry? Uh, yeah, so I was in the intimate apparel business, never thought that bereavement care was going to be a profession. Um, but um, similar to many, people get into the profession because of a personal experience. Yes. And um, in 98, my father died. He was, I have to say, my first significant death loss. Um, I was very fortunate. I was already a mature woman, but nonetheless, um, I was grieving. But I did what I thought I was supposed to do. And that was um, have the funeral. And then Sunday comes and I had to get ready for work. So I had to put my grief in a box. I put a pretty bow on it. I stuck it up on a shelf and I went through all the cliches. Time will heal. I will forget. um, It'll get better and all these cliches. Well, fast forward, it really didn't. Um, When I would hear of anybody's um, uh, death or 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 terminal illness, I would I would just swell up with emotion. And my new husband at the time would be like, you don't even know these people. But but for me, I could appreciate vicariously what they were feeling. Then um, in 2002, my daughter was born. This beautiful life that I wanted so terribly came into my life and made me so sad. I was told I had postpartum depression. I was told this. I was told that. And um, I, for whatever reason, didn't buy into any of that. But I was so heavily sad. And I had a dear friend sit with me. And she's like, Fran, what's up? Like, what's going on? And I went through the whole list of all the reasons why I'm so sad. I'm not sleeping and, and this and that. And, you know, the new mother challenges and Usually the last thing someone says that's the most relevant. And I broke down after a moment of silent pause. And I said, and my dad's not here to see the one thing he wanted more than anything in the world, a granddaughter. Mm. Bingo, epiphany. It wasn't my daughter's birth that brought me the sadness. It was my father's absence in not realizing this grandchild that he so wanted um, that made me sad. And I have to say that that epiphany is a story I hear over and over again in the sense that people just go on and they hit a brick wall and they don't understand why they hit that brick wall. For me, it was the birth of my daughter and my sadness that was my brick wall And if I hadn't had that epiphany, I might have had a very resentful relationship of my daughter, who is now 21, thinking that she brought me this sadness. Mm. So um, my girlfriend who sat with me, to go forward with the story, my girlfriend who sat with me worked 
for a local grief support agency and um, asked me to help support her. And as I got involved, um, I, I, I just, um, I visited the agency and they had um, a team's room. Usually, um, I don't want to say usually, but many uh, grief support agencies will have different rooms, an adult room, a teen's room, a kid's room, a little's room. And there was a collage project that the group was um, was doing. And this one collage really struck out. If you think of a collage, it's a picture on top of a picture on top of a picture on top of a picture. This collage had three images, an adolescent boy and his mother a big picture of lips cut out from the magazine and the word time from the time magazine. And his story broke my heart. Mm. His story was, this is me and my mother. And the more that time goes by, the more I miss her kisses. Bingo, boom, sign me up. What can I do? I'm in. I trained as a facilitator. I worked with high school students in an underserved community and realized as I was doing that for six months, I was still too young in my journey. And so I got involved on the board and um, I was uh, uh, I was part of the board uh, for almost 10 years. And in my tenure, people were seeking me out from different parts of my life. Where do we get support? Um, the children are having a hard time processing the grief. What do we say? What can we do? And Rita, as and Richard, as as an insider, it was mind-boggling to me that the resources were not available. And this is going back in 2000, at this particular point, 2010 almost. And that was really the birth of um, and the inspiration behind Heal Grief. It started out as a virtual entity providing resources for people seeking grief support. Because mm. at that time, there really were none. And then in my research, it just became a chameleon of so many things. Um, and whereas today, we are um, a community populated in an app where people connect and get grief support virtually. Um, we have grief coaches. We have resources. It's a database. It's, it's, a, it's, an own, it's its own virtual community for people that are grieving. That's absolutely awesome. I have a friend, Ronnie Walker, who does Alliance of Hope, and it's the same thing for suicide loss survivors. It's all- I know Ronnie. It, yeah, it's all online, yes. I know Ronnie. We interviewed her on our Let's Talk Death episodes. Oh, wow, yeah. That's really, no, it's so needed. It's because people have so many questions, and you're absolutely right. So much of this gets triggered if we haven't done our grief work by something that may be totally unrelated. And then we wonder, you know, we haven't put words to the pain. We haven't named our losses. And then we wonder one day why we wake up and we're depressed or anxiety ridden or whatever. It's because we haven't done our own work. And yeah, there was, there was a study done um, by uh, a psychologist and I can't quite um, come up with his name off the top of my tongue, but but he said, if you dive in to the trauma, really dive into the root cause, more than 50% of prevailing problems today that have nothing to do with a death loss are a result of a death loss and unresolved grief um, and wow. how someone matured from that. Mm. 
um, which I thought was very interesting. A death loss is a significant traumatic event that really can change the trajectory and the emotional well-being of many. I have adults all the time. You know, I, I just, I'm stuck. Dive in. Yeah, you. that's a great point. Uh, my husband died by suicide, I, if you know my story. I think, obviously, that's a huge trauma. But I think we don't tend to look at maybe other losses as traumatic. And for some people, they are very traumatic. Because it's not just, oh, my spouse had cancer, and I knew they were going to die, and I walked through that journey. But watching someone die, I mean... <laughs> I don't know why God's had me at the bedside of so many people. I mean, when I wrote Shattered, I think I lost eight people that year. And it's not a pretty thing. It's just not. And and it does something to, you know, your soul. So I think the resources are, you know, we just need to have people recognize that although avoidance strategies or denying my grief may look like they work in time. They just, they don't, it's always going to come back. Something's going to trigger it. It may be, I had a a girl probably in her twenties that came to the suicide loss group I was in. Her brother had died 10 years before and she had never processed it. And I'm sure you hear that. And and I've heard her stories and stories like that. So you know, yeah, we got to I mean, do have, the work. We have people that come in years later. I mean, our community is not just for someone who is newly bereaved. There are some people that come in 10, 15 years later on a on a life cycle where their grief might have been triggered. But mm-hmm. you said something that was very interesting. And, and I, I want to acknowledge the the additional trauma that one experiences watching their person die or the the unfortunate stigma uh, that society may still hold around a suicide death. But um, I also would like to um, share our personal philosophy um, with Heal Grief. And for us, we don't see one death more significant than another with for one's grief. And what I mean by that is, you know, whether you're grieving over a friend or a colleague or a parent or a spouse, taking away the trauma of how they may have died, for us, it's the deeper the love, the deeper the grief, regardless of the relationship. Amen. The deep, the closer the attachment, the stronger exactly. the bond. Yes. Exactly. So we do not suggest that a death of one relationship versus a death of another is any stronger or less. It's that connection you have to that person. Now, in addition to that, we do want to be mindful that there are traumatic experiences that are very unique to the way each person may have experienced their person's death or, or their, their dying. So, um, yeah, but it's really relational. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I wonder, like, when we walk out and see a crowded street, and I think about this all the time, you know, as a counselor, how many are walking wounded because they're in grief, because they've never really had the courage or had the resources or the wherewithal to share their story and be vulnerable. And so they're just stuck holding it all inside. So we can we can cite a study. We okay. um, Heal Grief has a program called Actively Moving Forward and Actively Moving Forward 
originally started out working with grieving college students. And there have been studies, albeit a decade old, I, I do want to preface that, um, there have been studies that say one in every three college student is grieving a death loss within a year of the death. Mm. By the time year two rolls around, it's almost 50%. So if you take that, if you look at that age demographic and you take those numbers, when I walk around, I see one in two people at least grieving a death loss whether they're grieving it in the moment, whether they're, they've experienced a death loss, I would say that one in three of everybody, I mean, one half of everybody um, has experienced a death loss of someone significant in their life. And, and it, it's with that statistic, it's almost mind boggling, Rita, to your point, Richard, to your point earlier, that we don't, as a society, have the compassion and the understanding and the words for people who are grieving because society says, you'll get over it, time will heal, move on, suck it up, be strong. Yep, all those cliches that everybody... And I want to say, for me, being strong during bereavement is not about sucking it up. It's leaning into your grief and allowing yourself to feel the pain, to feel the emotions, to do the work necessary to end up in a ho- in a healthy post-bereavement growth. Yeah, because if you stuff it and you think that's a good strategy, it's going to come out crooked somewhere else. So why not just deal with it? And, and, and go through it and then it's resolved. The other thing is, okay. So when I wrote shattered, like the, the death, death is a concrete loss. We all get that. But along with that, like, and what you were saying with your own personal story, there's a lot of what I call abstract losses attached to that. So with your father losing your dad and then you have your daughter shattered dreams, you know, Hey, I had this baby. This my dad wanted to be a part of this. That dream got blown up. You know, loss of there's just so many abstract losses. It can be loss of a childhood, loss of intimacy in a relationship, uh, unmet expectations. Just the list goes on and on. Disenfranchised grief, and and so those are the things that I want to help people when I'm counseling to connect those dots in their life because you can trace all of these losses. Back to an original, oh, I had a meltdown. Mm-hmm. What about a two-income family and a spouse dies and then the remaining spouse can't afford the home, um, yes. can't afford the private schools for the children, um, has to move, has to pull their kids into you know, other a, a, another community. I mean, all those are very, very traumatic as a, re- as a result of a death loss. Right. And I think people... Sometimes don't. That's why I try to use that language with them. Like, you know, I'll have women that have been in marriages that have been, you know, there's no sexual intimacy or has not been for years. And when I say, well, that was a huge loss. It's a loss of intimacy. They've really stopped and paused because people don't have the words to put to some of this. So I think having a 
a grief facilitator, a counselor, reading some good book can really help people to actually do that, to look at all these abstract losses. In my book, I've got, you know, page of it, you know, so you can just kind of say, oh, wow, that really fits for me. And that's a really important piece. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So let me ask you this. So like in some cultures, when someone's experienced a loss, there's a set amount of time and yet, as individuals, each person's different about the grieving process, right? We had Kubler-Ross and the stages of grief, which have been refuted by many in the counseling field, I think often misunderstood because grief isn't a linear process. Uh, for those that don't know Kubler-Ross's model, maybe you can talk about that. But, you know, one person can be in denial first, another person might be angry, what techniques do you guys use to help someone who is going through grief? What's the immediate kind of uh, target for you as you do? I mean, do you use those stages? Do you try to tap into those? So we absolutely dismiss the notion of stages of grief. And I'll share a little history um, to why. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross um, in the end of her life, and this was a conversation I had with her son. Um, she was very, very clear that her research was done for those that were dying, not for those that were grieving, that we actually adopted her research for those that are grieving. And another reason that we dismiss the notion is because we believe that in the, the, in, in the words that grief is not linear, if someone's not hearing grief is not linear, they're just hearing the stages of grief, they may go through the stages and end up backwards at another stage. And they may be like, well, wait a minute, I thought I was done with that stage. Am I grieving wrong? Hey, that's a great point. <laughs> like, how are, I'm grieving. So here they are grieving and now they're concerned. Oh my God, I'm grieving wrong because I'm supposed to be past this stage as if there's a timeline. And there is no timeline. No, and everybody's unique as well. I had well-meaning Christians, uh, you know, give that to me. Uh, oh, it's been a year. You should be moving on. You should, you know, it's like, well, Mike was my high school sweetheart. We were probably too sewn together, but the attachment was, you know, so strong and uh, I think that that what it did for me is what you just described. Like, I felt guilt. Like, oh, I'm not even doing this right. Like, I'm trying to get over the guilt I felt because, you know, like I'm the counselor, right? And my I couldn't save my own husband. And now I'm not even doing the grief thing right. So and it was very how, detrimental. And how did that make you feel when you wanted to talk about it? I'm not going to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm not going to talk about him anymore because... I don't want anybody to think I'm grieving. Well, for us, and again, I keep going to the, the philosophy of heal grief because it may be different than other philosophies. And I'm not saying it's the end all be all, but the philosophy of heal grief is, as I mentioned, the deeper the love, the deeper the grief. And, and grief is something I think about it as someone on your shoulder that occasionally taps you. You know, there are life cycles, could be the birth of a child, could be a wedding, could be a graduation, where all of a sudden you get that little tap on the shoulder, a little reminder that your person is still there. They are in your heart and in your mind for as long as you live. And, you know, we have a saying that individuals have two deaths. One death is when their physical body stops working. And the other death is when you stop talking about them. Mm. So we encourage 
all of our members to talk about their person. They didn't just vanish and disappear. They're very present. Thank you. They may not be sitting in that seat, but they're very present in your being. So, so why wouldn't we want to talk about someone we hold such a deep love for? And well, those are older models. Yeah, those are older models of grief. And what I love about like narrative therapy, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but newer models of mourning are now finding and research is uh, backing up what you just said. It's actually better and more healing for people to maintain continuing bonds Bond. with their loved ones. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean 10 years out, I've still got a shrine upstairs to Mike and I'm, you know, but what it means is in healthy, adaptive ways, I'm honoring him, his memory, the legacy. I am uh, speaking about him to my children and my grandchildren. Uh, there are certain things that we do to commemorate uh, him and what he stood for in his life. And those are all healthy things to do. And I think they make us feel better. They make okay, us. I'm going to share, I'm gonna share yeah. a funny story. I come from a Jewish background. My father loved Liverwish. I hated it. <laughs> but every Jewish holiday, I make it. It's on the table. Nobody eats it. but you got it there anyway (laughs) but it's there on the table and we all laugh because that was my father's that was my father's thing and we laugh about it and we smile but when I see people in our groups you know I'll ask a question I'll say tell me one thing about your person that just made you laugh or made you smile in the in a moment of sadness all of a sudden everybody lights up and they start talking about their person. Why would we want to stifle that? Exactly. Well, Fran, we've got to uh, end here. Uh, I know you've graciously agreed to come back. Hmm. Uh, but as we close, I, I'm pleased to announce that Sound Century Audio Network has been podcasting and broadcasting a series of programs from audio authors and authors like Rita. Uh, you know, Rita's on counseling, uh, Dr. James Spencer with Useful to God. We're about to launch a show on business and entrepreneurship from uh, a faith at work perspective. Uh, Lowell Buzinitz and me, uh, Richard Beatty, have a startup in the works. Uh, Lowell's a professor emeritus of entrepreneurship at Oklahoma University. He's the author of Soul Work. The new show is called Good Work. Uh, it's, it's part of a lineup we're calling Renewable Resources for Home, Work, and Community. Sound Century Audio Network, buzzsprout.com. For more, go to ritaschulte.com. Before you go, here's Rita's one-minute feature, Consider This. Consider this as a feature of my counselor and author, Rita Schulte, who speaks on matters of the heart. Have you ever had a heavy burden and wondered why God wasn't listening to your cry for help? The prophet Habakkuk wondered the same thing as he witnessed the moral and spiritual corruption of Judah. He was perplexed at God's perceived ambivalence toward evil and his prayers. So what did Habakkuk do when God seemed silent? He waited. And in the waiting, he applied truth to what he knew about the character of God. He knew that the revelation of God's plan awaited an appointed time. And even though he didn't get what God was up to, he learned to rest in God's sovereignty with a spirit of worship. So consider this. The next time you're tempted to think God's indifferent or argue with his ways, remember, he's working out his plan and his timing. 
Our job is to wait patiently and live by faith, trusting in his sovereignty. To listen to Rita's podcast, Heartline, or to read her blog, go to RitaSchulte.com. That's RitaSchulte.com.